0: the eternal word of God became flesh. Made his dwelling among us. Just like we were born into the world, so was he. And I don't know about you, but sometimes as a theologian, I can be guilty of thinking about all the ways that God is different from me. The ways that he is different from the world in which he made. And we kind of turn the whole Christmas thing into a mysterious thing that has no tangible reality. Or is that just me? <laughs> just you. I'm <laughs> preaching to myself then today. You can watch. <laughs> so there's no mystical passing through the womb here. There's no. Uh, three-year-old sitting up straight just after birth, like a bishop, blessing everyone. Have you seen those Christmas cards? Those are my favorites. Looks about five, maybe. Just born, but, you know. (laughs) He had a real body. He was born of a real woman, from a real womb, in the real way. It's extraordinary, isn't it? in a real place, in a real time, in history. Any who were fearful found peace. Any who sought him found him. Or perhaps it's more correct to say that he found us. Just as the hound of heaven seeks us and finds us and saves us to the uttermost, as P.T. Forsyth and C.S. Lewis would say. John recalls that this one walked amongst the people. And they beheld. Behold. Which just means they saw with their own eyes. Mm -hmm. They beheld his glory. Behold seems so much more majestic than to see, doesn't it? I had a a colleague in London who, I think that was when an email arrives, mine just goes ding. His went, behold. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking I need to find out where Behold seems so much more majestic than see, but that's what it is. John said, we have seen his glory. We saw it during his first miracle at Cana, where his glory is referenced. Again, they saw it when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That which was present before the foundation of the world was present in Jesus Christ, and he passed that same glory on to his disciples they would now know unity beyond the scattering at the cross because of the glory given to them by Jesus. They saw God's glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. How is that possible? How on earth is that possible? I mean, how could they see God's glory? I mean, Moses couldn't even really see God's glory. And he asked to see it. He had a lot of courage, Moses (laughs) did. I mean, after the Israelites had danced around the golden calf that they had made, and Moses sought God, and God spoke, and first there was disorder as their expectations and practices had to be dismantled and broken apart, the disorder of judgment, and then afterwards the presence of God would come down like a cloud and sit at the entrance of the tabernacle. And Moses spoke with the Lord at that tent of meeting, as with a friend, and things began to be reordered for Israel after that disarray. There was a plan for the future, an assurance of God's presence, and so Moses asks to see God's glory. Show me your glory, he dares to ask. But do you remember the answer? God said, no one can see God's face and live. But God would put Moses in the cleft of a rock and cover his face. very kind when you just sit him in this <laughs> little cleft of a rock. and I won't only do that, but I'll also cover your face when I pass by, so you don't die. and then once I've passed by, you kind of get a glimpse of my back. There, you'll see my glory. God humbled himself enough that Moses could glimpse his glory. And we often think of God's glory as His majesty the thing that is so separate from what we are. He the high and lifted up one, dripping light from the edges of his throne. And this is, of course, part of the picture. Glory throughout scripture is almost always associated with God's kingly reign. But there's at least one Johannine scholar who suggests that for John, glory is not his majesty, but his own humility. His kingly reign is now among mortals. The kingdom of God is here among you. His glory was manifested in the weakness and the frailty of human flesh. They didn't have an ultrasound. Mary didn't have an ultrasound. She had to trust. But it was flesh all the same. The heartbeat in the womb was the same. The arms and the legs that moved around and swam about as it grew into the fullness of what would be our Savior. His kingly reign is now among mortals. His kingdom is among us. His glory was manifested in the weakness and frailty of human flesh and in his self-giving sacrifice. Isaiah reminds us of this too in the prophecy, that there's nothing in the appearance of the suffering servant that's impressive. Nothing that we should be mindful of him. That reveals God's glory in the way that we think of it. But as he humbled himself in the form of the servant, there's his glory. As he trudged to Golgotha, there is his glory. As the God of the universe becomes human in a fragile womb of flesh, there is his glory. He entered the world as a baby, there. There's his glory. And we have seen it. Moses couldn't see it. We get to see it. The very presence of God comes down in the tabernacle of Jesus' physical body. The disciples saw, and in the spirit into his body, the church, we see God's glory. Behold. And as as the Israelites of old, when we see and we welcome him among us, we experience a disordering and a reordering. Such as we might experience when a baby comes. Now, when a baby comes, I think two things happen. On the one hand, everything that you think you knew about anything uh, crumbles before your eyes. (laughs) Your life is cast into disarray and disorientation replaces the control that you used to have or tried to have or thought you had on your life. And I realized this not only when I gave birth, though certainly it really started in truth that night. And I think it's similar here, but in the UK, you were encouraged to write out your birth plan. Birth plan. So you could share it with, you know, your birthing team. And uh, they'd be sure to fulfill your wishes and preferences. There should be more laughter. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, uh, I have an outline here of all the boxes you can tick in, in, for your birth plan. Uh, Anything from, I want the lights dimmed, to I want the lights up, to um, I want this kind of pain uh, relief, I want acupressure, acupuncture, breathing techniques, cold therapy, demoral, distraction, blood therapy, hypnosis, (laughs) massage, meditation, reflexology, standard epidural, TENS, walking epidural, nothing. Only what I request at the time, whatever is suggested at the time. (laughs) It goes on and on. Page after page. <laughs> <coughs> All of your preferences can be met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that worked for you. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Thankfully, I was 41 when I gave birth, not thankfully I was 41, but thankfully at 41 you realize that life often doesn't go how you plan. So when they asked me where my birth plan was, I said, well, I don't really have one of those. My plan is for the baby and me to both be alive at the end of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Which they didn't quite laugh at, I'm not sure why, but there you go, there's the reality. Um, I had some control for a while, I mean, I painted almost all of the house and cleaned almost all of the house, and I've never done it since. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we even we even chose his birthday because um, I had to be induced because I was going over, and it was for everyone's safety. I was to be induced, and I said, "Well, what day would you like?" And I said, "They said November the 11th." And I said, "Oh, that's too depressing. We can't be having a birthday on Remembrance Day." And they said, "Well, are you superstitious? What about the 13th?" And I said, "Well, I'm not superstitious, but I think I'd rather not." So we settled on the 12th, picked his birthday. Isn't that great? That was the last thing I planned. (laughs) The night I checked into hospital for my induction, I was relaxing, reading magazines, as per my imaginary birth plan. (laughs) And suddenly, the monitor that was on me monitoring, monitoring baby's heart just stopped. It just stopped. And from there, everything was... Just simply, let's keep everybody alive. And any decision that had to be made uh, was simply made on the basis of necessity. And even as I labored, I mean, we've gone through—I'm telling you—hours of pre, um, of uh, you know, all the antenatal training stuff, right? I don't know what's called antenatal. Antenatal. Wait, You go through all that before, you know. And you know, and Peter learned how to rub my back just the right way, all this kind of stuff. And if you can't rub your back, then maybe you could rub the... uh, Anyway, we're we're lying there, hooked up to a hundred machines, and and I said, well, look, there's nothing on my leg. You could rub my leg. (laughs) So we started to rub my leg, and the midwife came over and said, now you can't do that because it's messing up all the readings of the machines. (laughs) All the preparation out the window. Everything disordered. I'll never forget when I first started tape, before I had ordered the epidural, I was smart enough to do that. <laughs> but before the epidural came, I said, let's let's just try this gas and air business and see how that is. Okay. And so I'm sucking on this gas and air. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> and I started to rant. And I don't think many of them... <laughs> I know the surprises those people... I don't think many Baptist theologians have babies, and 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 I was lying there sucking on this stuff, and I and I was um, I started I I remember I was not in control of this, but I remember it well, and I was saying, Oh God, what a strange God you are! That you have made us to give birth in this way, and it went on and on and And there was an African midwife, and she was just. Despite all the planning, nothing was really how I might have imagined it, and many hours and a long story later, as they handed my boy to me while Peter cut the cord, I uttered the ironic blessing to my son, unplanned and unrestrainable. When I got home the next day, insisting that I not stay another moment in that maternity ward that was Grand Central Station, I hadn't slept in three days, I had an infection, a new baby to look after, and for all I knew, I knew nothing about that. (laughs) I was determined to hang on to a modicum of sanity, but I remember two occasions. One when a woman from the church came to look after David so I could sleep. And I was so past exhaustion that I felt like I was hanging on the brink of madness. I'd never experienced anything like it. And I could not sleep as desperately as I needed it. And my mind rolled on and on, and I was thinking the craziest things like, How is he going to grow up? And will he make friends? And what if he takes drugs? What am I going to do? And it just rolled on and on and on. Complete disorder. Another evening, I was lying on the sofa with David on my chest because he wouldn't sleep anywhere else. And Peter was watching Napoleon Dynamite on TV. (laughs) And I remember this moment like it was yesterday. And I was lying there and I thought, this is it. My life is over. I will never be able to watch or enjoy or laugh at a film again. I will never be carefree. My life was in complete disorder. And in a way, it was a judgment. It swept like a flood, leaving its watermark, as one author describes what happens when God shows up in a dynamic way. Not that David was God, but God was doing something to us in his arrival. It was a judgment on my priorities, my planning, my sense of control, all of that. It made me understand a poem that I read just the other day in my Advent reading, that talks about how God rushes in like a flood. It's called Restoration by Mary Cornish. Everyone knew the water would rise, but nobody knew how much. The priest at Santa Croce said, God will not flood the church. When the Arno broke its banks, God entered as a river, left his marks high above the altar. He left nothing untouched, stones, plaster, wood. You are all my children. The hem of his garment, which was the river's bottom sludge, swept through Florence, filling cars and cradles, the eyes of marble statues, even the doors of paradise, and the likeness of his son's hands. Those pierced palms, soaked with water, began to peel like skin. The Holy Ghost appeared as clouds of salted crystals on the faces of saints, until the intonaco of their painted bodies stood out from the wall as if they had been resurrected. This is what I know of restoration. In a small room near San Marco, alone on a wooden stool, nearly every day for a year, I painted squares of blue on gesso boards, cobalt blue with matter rose, viridian, lamp black, pure pigments in the strained yolk of an egg, and then penciled notes about the powders and the percentages of each. I never asked to what end I was doing what I did, and now I'll never know. Perhaps there was one square that matched the mantle of a penitent, the stiff hair of a donkey's tail, a river calm beneath a bridge. I don't even know what I learned, except the possibilities of blue and how God enters. For me, for us, well, as the months passed, life came back together again, as it usually does after a dismantling. Blue square by blue square, life was not the same, but it was a new fulfillment that was like redemption. A gift given when we were long past the point of asking that gave our life a different meaning and a whole new reliance on God and his presence in our lives. We see his glory in the day-to-day, in the reality of life as it unfolds. A baby brings disorder, but in time, disarray gives way to a reordering of things. Uh, A reordering of priorities and agendas. A reordering of what and who comes first. And without the disarray of the new arrival, reordering can't take place. This is the story of the baby we await at Advent. Welcoming him into our lives brings disarray. He's the only child of the Father, full of grace truth and when truth comes it is hard to face it comes to us at advent in the form of a baby and in the second coming in the refinement of God's presence that it brings when it sweeps in and knocks over the precious things of our lives and swirls them around and leaves nothing untouched this disorienting this disordering it's confusing it may feel like a sort of madness Not everything that crumbles, though, is by neglect. Sometimes it's God's presence knocking over the altars and idols of our lives. Even in our wider world, sometimes things have to fall apart before they can be remade. But in his coming, he never leaves us there, full of grace and truth. His grace is redemption. We are saved from that disarray, rescued from disorder when we behold his glory and welcome him into our lives, whether we've been a Christian for a few moments or for a lifetime. He knocks us apart. He restores. He brings his judgment and his redemption. He reorders our lives around new priorities that reflect his agenda for our lives for our churches, and for our world. So if we're feeling very well ordered today, perhaps we need to surrender some control. Let him come in and rearrange the furniture. Rearrange your life. Let the flood sweep through and leave its watermark high on the wall. Be willing to have the golden calves of control knocked over that creep in when we're tired of waiting for God. And be open to his presence that makes you worry at least a little that maybe you aren't meant to be in complete control. Maybe you need some of his truth, and yes, even some of his judgment. His ways are good. They're not safe, but they're good. Behold his glory. This Advent is for you. On the other hand, you may be already in disarray and disorder. And what you need is some reordering, some redemption, some grace. You've got no pegs to hang anything on at the moment. You're completely at his mercy. You've been hanging on too long in that place of disorientation. And in that madness, you know you need some peace. You don't have to glimpse just his back. He has come and he's here. Behold his glory. This Advent is for you. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.